0: From Trojan's Wire, part of the College Wire Network at USA Today. This is the Trojans Wired Podcast. Here are your hosts, Matt Zemick and Ian Hext.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of Trojans Wired, the podcast, which is an in-house production of the website Trojans Wire, part of the College Wire Network. You know what we're going to be talking about this week? It's the spring game preview because it's Saturday, April 23rd at noon, ESPN's covering the game live, uh, Kirk Street is going to be part of the ESPN team, it's going to be on the call, so you know that when ESPN and not PAC 12 network is covering the spring game and is covering it live and sending it's a list commentators to cover it. You know, something's different. You know, it's not Clay Helton anymore. You know, it's not USC's mediocrity anymore. You know that the old era has passed and the new era has come and uh, Trojan fans, uh, you know, can't wait for this game. And, you know, the USC athletic department, has uh, allowed fans to attend the game for free, which you know, was a great gesture and an appropriate one too, because um, the, this fan base has suffered through a lot over the past 12 years, especially during the past uh, seven years of Clay Helton. And this spring game really does mark in a tangible way uh, the beginning of a new era. Obviously, spring practices. Already began that new era under Lincoln Riley, but the spring game in a certain sense is like the public front facing start to this new era of USC football, which Trojans fans hope and certainly expect to become Pete Carroll 2.0. All the good things that we had under Pete Carroll, but now in the college football playoff era, not expecting a playoff berth in year one, but certainly expecting to compete for the Pac-12 title, make a New Year's Six Bowl game, win at least 10 games, if not 11 or 12. And so the spring game begins that journey. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to spend a lot of time next week reviewing this game. We're going to spend a little bit less time previewing this game because, you know, we've been kicking around a lot of familiar talking points over the spring, Ian Hest, in these past three weeks or so. And uh, so you know we're not gonna reinvent the wheel, uh, but we are gonna hit on the main points to look for when you watch and when you follow you know through uh, commentators, through the beat writers uh, this spring game on Saturday. So Ian, you know for me, just personally speaking, uh, the main thing for this spring game is where's the depth? And uh, that that really to me is the most important thing because, you can look at the various position groups on this USC roster and you know who the leaders are. Shane Lee linebacker, uh, Tuli Tui-Pulotu, uh, Solomon Tule-Aupupu, uh, and of course, Caleb Williams, Travis Dye, Mario Williams, the, the other skill players on the offensive side of the ball for USC. You know who the really quality players are, players who are going to be starting. But in order for USC to really amount to something, Especially if when the injury bug hits, you need quality depth. And of course, USC is going to load up in the transfer portal. So a lot of players who are going to make an impact or hopefully will make an impact for USC in 2022 aren't even rostered yet. They will join the program in the coming weeks and they will get their full indoctrination, their full immersion into the Lincoln Riley experience in August in preseason summer camp. Uh, so, you know, what USC needs to see is not whether, you know, the elite players are on their games because they can be trusted. Like those are not question marks heading into September. It's the depth. So the names that you haven't been hearing, the names that haven't been prominently mentioned by the coaching staff, the names that aren't, uh, making the rounds in terms of the beat writer coverage, uh, those are the names you need to hear from now. I, an, an exception to that rule is Corey Foreman because he is a high-profile player, but he hasn't established himself as an elite college player. He had a difficult year one uh, under Todd Orlando, Dante Williams, and you know in the offseason last year, Clay Helton. So now he gets this new coaching staff to learn from. So he, he would probably rate as the, the single most important player uh, to look at. But beyond Corey Foreman, it's a lot of other names that you haven't been hearing about. Let's see those guys, let's see those names rise to the forefront, getting as many of those kinds of players to respond well in this spring game. Uh, not the A-list guys, but you know the backups, the second stringers on the depth chart. That's what I'm looking for more than anything else, Ian, uh, in this spring game.
0: Yeah, I, I, but I also, I agree with you uh, to, to begin. The, the thing that I would say is that's the where you want to be as a program right you want to approach a spring game knowing the stars that you have but also looking towards the depth right like that that that's the 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 recipe for success and so i, I look at that and and think that's already a great starting point that's already something that is a positive for usc we don't know the uh, a lot of the names that'll wind up becoming, uh, you know, stars of tomorrow, if you will, things like that. I mean, like we we know who they are, but we don't know who's going to wind up becoming the 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 ones that are are really going to be there. So I think that being at having that starting point for Lincoln Riley and entering his first year, that makes me feel like. A little good. I I don't know about you. Like, like I would feel better about that than worse about that. For for asking these questions right now, these are the questions that you want to have as a solid program.
1: Oh, I, I would definitely agree with that, and I think that you know USC. As much as everyone wants the pieces to fit together in year one, you know it does bear mentioning that the bigger project beyond one season is to lay the foundation for long-term sustained success. I mean, you're, you're living this experience. You're living this journey in with Mario Cristobal and Miami and what he is trying to freshly create uh, with your hurricanes Um, that, you know, you do want this to be a breakout year and, you know, Miami, I think will be projected by many to be the coastal division champion in the ACC and play Clemson uh, in the ACC title game. And of course, USC certainly has the expectation this year, not, not just in the future, but this year, you know, to be a relevant player in the pursuit of the PAC 12 championship. But there is that tension point that, you know, if everything doesn't go exactly right in year one, you know, there's still value in this spring game to the extent that you are reshaping a lot of players. You are, getting players you know, who have potential uh, but were not well served by Clay Helton and that particular coaching staff uh, to turn around. And it might not fully click in that first year. And that really is the delicate balance and the, the tricky tension point that uh, Lincoln Riley is, is wrestling with is that you know, maybe the skeptics are right. Maybe the skeptics who said that Clay Helton created so much damage to this program that it can't all be brought back uh, to the expected standard in one year. You know, even if that does happen to be true, and even if the skeptics are correct, you can still begin a transformation. And so, this spring game is certainly a a, a first and foremost part of that journey, part of that uh, process of of uprooting everything that was bad about Clay Helton and uh, making it better, making it good, and making it uh, long lasting, but, but the, the, the speed with which that, uh, transition and transformation occur, you know, that is the lingering question. And we're just not going to get a good feel for it until we get into the meat of the PAC 12 season. Uh, you know, the, the week one game against rice probably isn't going to tell us a whole lot. Now week two against Stanford, that's going to be our first real glimpse and then Fresno State and Oregon State as the month of September continues. All right, by then, you know, by the end of September, we're likely to get a much better feel for where this team, where this program, really stands. And so the spring game is just that first step, uh, you know, in terms of live action, in terms of taking all of these uh, concepts that Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch have been trying to convey in practice. The spring game represents a first. Glimpse of how these players translate that coaching onto the field uh, in, in at least a simulated game situation, and and uh, that that begins the road toward you know facing the real live action and the pressure of game day uh, in September.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree on that point. But I, I guess also what I would add to it is the idea of a uh, a, a the coaching staff being able to. Get a little more, uh, you know, situated with everything that that what is going on. You had a great article on Trojans Wire earlier um, that that touched to this, and and you know, I just want to like read what Lincoln Riley's quote included in its part. He said, and I quote: "This team, the individuals on this team, if they've got a staff that does not believe in them, teams know that." Teams sense that. Players sense that. When they know a coach doesn't believe in them, I would say that you can obviously push someone and believe in them at the same time. And it's our job as coaches to find that right balance. And I would say that the positives up until this point, that help, that frustration, are are that team. You can sick that how you want. When we push them hard, it has responded. Because of that belief and excitement among our staff, it is really high. I read that and see kind of like a guy that gets it, a, a guy that understands the modern day player that isn't going to, that, that wants to push players, but is understanding of this generation and, and what they're going to tolerate, I guess, and the transfer portal and all of those things like that would give me solace. That would give me like understanding that, that I, I feel comfortable with there. There is that, that level of, of warmth in, in that understanding that he has. Would you agree? I would. And there are
1: a couple really important points that your comment and your, uh, Quote of Lincoln Riley, bring up one is that there's no coach on this USC staff over 50 years old. So Lincoln Riley was very intentional about getting a younger staff to connect to the modern athlete, to connect to this generation of players. Uh, that that's one uh, particularly important aspect of it. The other really uh, important thing that that shines through is that you know it does seem as though this this roster is coachable. And, you know, when Lincoln Riley talked about the the transfer portal and making a big impact and USC does have the number one ranked transfer portal class for this uh, cycle, you know, there's something specific connected to that. And you indirectly referred to it, Ian, and that is that, you know, you have to believe in your players. So part of the transfer portal uh, chess game that Lincoln Riley played is that, you know, if you want transfers coming in, that also means that he had to flush out uh, players from the Clay Hilton era who just weren't going to be part of this year's roster. And so, like, he had to encourage a number of players to seek opportunities elsewhere. That maybe these, you know, we don't know for sure how many of these players wanted to stay at USC, but Lincoln Riley said, nope, you know, you're not part of our plans. We don't know what the breakdown is in terms of players who wanted to stay versus players who were going to leave regardless. I kind of think that Jackson Dart just realized, you know, hey, I I existed under a specific offense, a specific system, so I need need a fresh start. Uh, Like, I don't think that Lincoln Riley ran him off. I think that was more about Dart just wanting a fresh start. But regardless of, you know, how those, uh, exiting transfers broke down. It, it, the, the point to emphasize, Ian, is that you know this staff was very clear in telling players behind the scenes, those that might've either wanted to stay or who are ambivalent, no, you actually need to leave because we don't think that you're going to be part of this team and what it needs to become. But the, so in other words, the coaching staff has been very intentional, very clear, and very upfront in, in saying that, okay, if you're here, that means we believe in you. If you're not here, that means, you know, we need you to find your best fit elsewhere. So in that sense, this coaching staff is really honest. And another thing about that, the, the coaching staff's honesty is that, you know, over these past few weeks of spring practice, and, and it's something I've noted uh, on these podcasts, it's something that I've noted in my writing at Trojan's Wire, is that like if they praise you, you've really done something. Like this, coach, this coaching staff does not throw around praise like cotton candy. Uh, that you know, you have to earn praise. That's what this whole gold plating thing has been about. Like you have to earn praise and, and uh, commendation on this team. You know, it's the praise isn't free. Like you have to, you have to put in the sweat. You have to, you know, be coachable. You know, you have to be receptive to teaching. And that once you, once you show that, then you get praised, but the the coaching staff is not, you know, quick to praise. Uh, it, you know, it's been saying that, you know, Whoa, we have a lot of work to do. We have a long way to go, but when players begin to evolve, when the work begins to, uh, reveal tangible results, then you see praise and then you can know that it's earned. And that, that goes back to something, under the Clay Helton era, that he was always talking about progress when players really weren't advancing all that much, if at all, as players. I mean, you know, we're coming up on the NFL draft; that's going to be also part of uh, our our broadcast the next few weeks. And you know, USC has just not provided a lot of NFL players under Clay Helton. You haven't had the depth, uh, the large uh, draft classes that you had under Pete Carroll, and and that points to You know, a lack of player development, and and a lack of player development is very much tied to praising players when they haven't actually merited praise, and that's exactly what this coaching staff seems to be aware of. That we're not going to praise you just because we like you as a person. And I mean, you know, coach coaches do need to like their players as people. That's part of the transfer portal era. That's part of the NIL era. That coaching staffs really do have to relate to players, but that doesn't mean you pamper them it doesn't mean that you praise them before they have actually earned praise and so, so what the things that you mentioned in that lincoln riley quote those are a number of points of emphasis worth pointing to as we uh, head into the spring game the
0: the interesting part that you brought up there is the idea of maybe like players earning their keep earning earning their spot and if they don't, then they're they're welcome to transfer out. And, th- and maybe that is like the modern day college football that we're all trying to get adjusted to. But I like that idea of, of earning your spot, and that makes a spring game like so it, interesting, right? Like it, it, it makes jobs up for grabs. It, may, it uh, well I don't want to call it a job, but like spots up for grabs. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If we, if we paid players, if we gave players a take home paycheck, it would be a job, yeah,
0: right. But it it makes spots up for grabs. And, And so it does really make a spring game. Like we're about to see a, a window into understanding who wants to put in that work, who wants to put in that effort. And that, that can, like, exhilarate a, not only a team but a fan base and a, and a program uh, that it hasn't had in, in several years.
1: No question about it. And one important detail to mention, Ian, on, on the on the heels of what you're saying to kind of piggyback on, on your perceptive comment is that, you know, Lincoln Riley has said there's going to be a lot of transfers after spring football. So, in other words, after this game, you're going to see more players leave – This roster. And so we're going to learn over the next several weeks. You know, maybe we might not learn until you know late May, early June. But there are going to be several players who leave the program. And it's going to be interesting to find out in if their roster spots were already decided on by the coaching staff, or if the spring game becomes a make or break moment in terms of whether a roster spot is retained or whether that the staff after the spring game, you know, has a heart to heart and says, you know what? We're going to encourage you to enter the portal. Let, uh, let me, so that, let me, that's going to be a really there. big backstory. Here. Yeah.
0: Let, let me cut you off there and just ask who are like the three, four guys that you really are like want to look at in, in terms of make or break, like, this is it. Let's find out.
1: You know, I don't have names for that because, you know, that's really at the back end of the roster. Um, and and so it, it's, you know, the the, the play, like the players I'm looking at are the ones that the, the coaching staff has already decided are going to be part of the mix. So Corey, Corey Foreman, for me, you know, is really the number one player to watch that. Like if he makes a step forward like that, that would be the biggest individual story. Uh, from this game, other players in that regard, Kalen Bullock, uh, Ray, Ray John Davis, uh, you know, deep, basically defensive players who, you know, suffered through last year's misery, uh, under, uh, Dante Williams and, and former defensive coordinator, Todd Orlando. Those are the players that, that I'm going to be looking at because it appears that the coaching staff really wants to work with them and develop them. And then so Saturday's spring game needs to, to, offer the proof that they're going in the right direction. But in terms of those make or break roster spots, you know, I'm not as clear on names because, you know, I don't really know like what's going on behind the scenes, you know, with those players who are sitting on the fence. And it's partly goes to that tension point, that unresolved tension point that I mentioned just a moment ago. Whereas we don't know that if, if players uh, roster spots are already spoken for, or if the spring game is going to actually decide their fate, because it could be that players are already on the way out. Uh, The spring game isn't going to actually change the calculus. The coaching staff has already privately decided, uh, you know, where it wants to make the changes. So not knowing that, you know, not, not being a hundred percent clear on that. That's uh, that, that's why it's hard for me to provide specific names. I would say, uh, that, you know, most of those kinds of players, most of the make or break players are going to be on defense because, you know, that is where, um, there are so many more question marks given how bad last year's defense was. Um, and, and, you know, USC has so little depth right now on the offensive line. You know, we've talked about, you know, how few scholarship offensive linemen there are. So. I can't imagine a large number of offensive linemen leaving in the portal because USC doesn't have many bodies to begin with. Uh, it's very similar uh, in the running back room that it's hard to see a lot of uh, running backs you know, being in a make or break position because there just aren't many running backs to begin with as well. I think that uh, I, I feel reasonably confident in saying that if you have portal uh, departures uh, about to happen after the spring game, they're going to be mostly on the defensive side uh, of the ball that, that I can feel uh, pretty confident about, but which guys are, are, you know, in that 50, 50 realm in terms of whether they stay or whether they go. uh, I'm not sure exactly where that falls because the coaching staff seems to be uh, in a position where it wants to work with a lot of the guys who struggled last year uh, you know so which ones are, are on their way out um, there they're probably players who you know weren't in a position to contribute heavily to this year's roster to begin
0: with so the 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 latter part of that question is uh, how much do you put stake into which team is is Constructed the way that it is, and and who gets put on different rosters. How do you feel that that's going to look? Well, I I I think
1: that you know, keep keeping in mind that ESPN is going to be covering this game, and keeping in mind that you know it's going to be a a real showcase for the program. I mean, I think that the 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 way everything's formatted for the spring game is going to be done to, you know, just. produce the most spirited kind of competition imaginable. And that gets to one other, you know, significant storyline surrounding this game. And that is that Lincoln Riley very recently said, you know, this is not going to be a game of tag. You know, it's going to be physical. The pads are going to pop. They need to pop. Uh, The coaches need to see a physical product. The players need to be part of a physical product. And of course the fans and the national TV audience need to see a physical product. And I think that in terms of the optics of this game and in terms of how Kirk Herbstreit and ESPN uh, witnessed this game, like that is going to be the selling point for Lincoln Riley uh, in terms of, you know, when he, when he, when he talks to this team before this game, uh, and it is, you know, just kind of like a, a, a scrimmage, you know, it's not uh, like an actual game that you'll see in September, you know, so some things about this game will be simulated. Obviously you won't want to see uh, Caleb Williams, you know, take any, any significant blows, but uh, you Lincoln Riley is going to impress upon his team Alex Grinch, you know, upon his uh, defense uh, the need to play with a with a great level of physicality and passion uh, because you know there's there's just no room in football to uh, second guess yourself when you're on the field. You know, you can't think too much. Uh, you need to play the game at full force. Uh, and so there's going to be a lot of teaching in and around that that reality of, all right, it's just a, it's just a spring game, but we still need to bring the fire. Uh, we still need to bring the energy. And so the, the rosters are going to be designed in such a way that um, players who are at the same level of evolution. I think that really gets down to it. Players at the same level of evolution are going to be split up. Uh, into the two teams that whatever can create a a, a relatively even position battle. So you're not going to see the team split up where, you know, one side is perceived to have significantly better uh, experience or, or, or fluidity or polish. They're going to try to balance it out as much as possible in terms of the stages of evolution for each player. And in terms of one on one matchups, whether that's a cornerback against a wide receiver, whether it's an interior defensive lineman against an interior offensive lineman, just to balance the scales as much as possible uh, in terms of creating even matchups. Because uh, uh, one thing we talked about on last week's show, Ian, uh, was the, the reality that as much as this coaching staff needs to develop players, because Clay Helton was horrible at player development, the the evaluation part of this, you know, evaluating players so that they just, they can see, you know, who should go where, uh, you know, in summer camp and leading into the season, um, the evaluation piece is is more prominent than the than the development piece right now. That's also going to be a part of the calculus when you know, in terms of those make or break players. Uh, whether they uh, are retained or whether they're asked to transfer after this game. So getting creating the rosters so that they can evaluate players, that's going to be a central factor. And so it just reinforces the simple point that they're going to try to create the most even matchups possible, in my estimation, uh, when they divvy up the roster assignments for this game.
0: Why would you want to do that? Would you not want to have the ones versus the twos? Why would you want one versus one?
1: you know, you're, you're not gonna, I don't think you're going to learn too much about a player. If you, you put them in a, in a a very favorable matchup or a very uh, unfavorable matchup that, you know, you have to take players who are pretty much on the same footing and see if one of them can gain an upper hand against the other. I think you're going to learn more about a player that way, you know, and, and I think the context of this matters as well, that, You know, if USC had been coming off an elite season and the Trojans were already an elite program, I think that would be a context in which for younger, less developed, less credentialed players, you might throw them into an uneven matchup and see how well they can compete. But because USC is basically starting over, because USC hit rock bottom last year, I think that the the proper starting point in this spring game, before the summer, before uh, preseason training camp in August, I think the proper starting point is to put guys on on relatively equal uh, pedestals, relatively equal levels of standing and see if, you know, all other things being equal, how they respond and, and if they can gain leverage, if they can gain uh, an advantage, if they can show, you know, that they're they're capable of rising above. Uh, the guy ac- across the line on the other side of the ball. I, I just think that that for, for in this particular uh, competitive context, I think that's the better way uh, to organize the rosters. And I think that, you know, as guys find their footing more, as they find their sea legs, as they grow in confidence, as they become more self-assured, then you you can throw them into, uh, you know, more challenging matchups not to say that these matchups are unchallenging but like the degree of difficulty i'd say that you you try to put guys on equal footing first and then once they improve then you throw more at them you know it's kind of like when when you're taking over a team uh and you know how developed is your playbook both offense and defense you don't give them the full playbook right away you start with basics you know you make sure that they have a a solid grasp of the fundamentals. You know, you make sure that they can execute the basic plays, and then you gradually give them more to work with as they just dis- demonstrate basic competence. As they grow in knowledge and feel, as they display more mastery for all the ins and outs of the sport, you don't throw them the full playbook right away, uh, or, or at least, you know, when wh- when players are not fully Developed when they aren't fully proven, you know, you have to bring them along slowly. Uh, That is another part of the the limitations and and the realities that this USC staff faces. Again, if this was a program coming off, you know, an 11-2 season, okay, then you can throw them more challenges earlier. But in this case, I think you you start with putting them on equal footing, and then you throw them the bigger curveballs in the summer.
0: Can I throw you a, a, a counter argument that, that, sure. that would uh, speak towards a new staff and new blood and, and all of the, the you know, things that are coming in is the idea that you would want ones all together so that you understand the cohesiveness of what you guys are doing and where you guys are going and, and to have that stability right from day one to be able, I'm not advocating for this. I'm just saying sure. that there is another sure. like idea behind this that you possibly could understand that you would want to have all of this. Like you <laughs> pointed out earlier, knowing a lot of not a lot, but some of the guys are, are going to be transferring anyway into the portal that, that you could just, create a stability of your number one offense your number one defense and you could throw it against itself and like learn what you have i i look at that and see an opportunity to figure out how good is our potential and 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 what are we going to be instead of How deep are we? How, uh, how, what do we need to find? What, like all of those things that you were talking about, I, I feel like this could be an opportunity to just establish, okay, this is what we have already point blank.
1: You know, and there, there's a compelling argument to be made for doing it that way. Uh, and I, and I should preface all of this for our listeners, by saying that, you know, I don't know what Lincoln Riley is going to do, but, but just to kind of take the ball and run with it there from what you've said, the argument to make for that particular approach is that, you know, because ESPN is showing this game, because Kerb Street is going to be providing commentary on this game, there's definitely an argument to be made for the idea that, all right, the national cameras are upon us. ESPN is now, you know, treating USC like an elite program again, you know. Even though you know the Trojans actually have to, you know, prove it this year, you know, in the fall. Um, but the argument is that all right, we're going to put all our number ones together so that they see our offense humming along, you know, as a roaring Ferrari, to get the eye of recruits, to get the eye of transfer portal uh, entrance, uh, to you know, to capture the attention of various people around the country. That would be the argument in support of. Uh, you know putting all your number ones together and loading up to display that cohesion that polish that experience and emphasizing that in the spring game and it's worth noting that uh, Georgia Texas A&M and LSU all have significant offensive players in the transfer portal now one Georgia offensive lineman uh, Uh, flipped. uh, Well, not not flipped. He just changed his mind and he was in the portal, but now he rescinded that. So he's going to stay with Georgia, but there's still a a second Georgia offensive lineman out there in the portal. There's a Texas A&M offensive line or or excuse me. Yes. Texas A&M offensive lineman in the portal whom Josh Henson, the offensive line coach coached when he was with the Aggies, you know, Lincoln Riley pulled Josh Henson from Jimbo Fisher's staff, at a so there's an AM offensive lineman who's now in the portal, and then uh, you know we're recording this on uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, an LSU running back uh, just entered the transfer portal. So there are prime offensive players from SEC schools on the transfer portal. They might all be watching this spring game, and so if you are able to display an offense, you know consisting entirely of your number ones on the depth chart, and that offense really puts on a show that could be a selling point in the transfer portal and therefore a reason to stack that roster for the spring game as as you have outlined, Ian.
0: Yeah, uh, th- that offensive lineman is uh, Mims from Georgia uh, who is expected to go to Florida State. So I'll, I'll just uh, throw that little burn in there and enjoy that little fun. Um, but w- w- I-, I was interested to hear that, how, how much you've referenced the idea that you know espn's going to be there kirk herbert going to be there like th- th- is is that relevant is that a, like a thing that you care about I- i'm surprised to hear how much you guys care about that
1: well, see, Ian, you know, out here in the Pac-12, and it's not just USC, it's really the whole Pac-12. You know, we get relegated to Pac-12 network a lot. We, we hear the jokes about TV, and also the late-night kickoffs. And, you know, USC played a lot of late-night games. USC played a lot of uh, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time games this past season. And that's that was itself a sign of the program's decreased relevance. We weren't playing as many games in that 8 p.m., Prime time window, and you know that Fowler and Herb Street are going to get more of those 8 p.m. Eastern time games with Lincoln Riley now aboard. So, yes, in the Pac 12, visibility is a big deal. And, and the fact that USC didn't have it the past several years, uh, there were very, very few Fowler Herb Street USC games the past three years. That itself is a reflection of decreased stature. And so, Herb Street being there, yes. It's not even just a symbolic thing. No, it's a directly tangible, potent, important thing for USC football and for the Pac-12. Like, you know, that George Kleavkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, he knows it's a big deal uh, that that Herbie is doing this game and that it's not on Pac-12 network. And, uh, you know, this is this is not meant to throw shade at the people who work at Pac-12 Network because they all work very hard and they actually put out, in terms of production values, what is a very good product. But the the, the network is still a national punching bag, understandably so, because it's not available on t- direct TV. Thank you, Larry Scott, even though he's out the door. And so the Pac-12 has to overcome that sort of thing. And USC, of course, is the program best positioned To lead the Pac-12 out of this period of irrelevance, out of this extended college football playoff drought. So Herb Street's presence, it's symbolically potent, but it's actually it's so much more significant than just the symbolism. Like just the fact that he uh, is there, it means a lot. and, And that and therefore it's important for USC to put its best foot forward in this game. Just as an aside, you know, working at the the College Wire Network for USA Today, you know the, uh, the 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 sites that do the best business, obviously, you know, you can you can guess who they are. You know, our Georgia UGA Wire site, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, the 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 top programs, Alabama, Roll Tide them. Wire, yeah, uh, yeah, Fighting Irish Wire as well. When they publish something about what Kirk Herbstreet says, or what Joel Klatt says, or what a, another uh, top-tier analyst says, those are the best-read stories on the site. Like, I'm not giving away any uh, uh, remarkable
0: house secret here. Like, I don't need to know how care the sausage was made. I don't need to know how the sausage is made. I, I'm just asking, like, do you oh, like do you, you want the yeah, national the, clout? Right, because like, the I, national clout matters. Nebraska,
1: it Yeah. I'm like, it matters. It's all a part of this. You know, like it, it's, it's, you know, do you, do you get, you know, that prime uh, either, you know, the, the, the mid afternoon window or the prime time window? Like these are, these are big deals for Pac-12 fans who hate these late night kickoffs and hate, uh, you know, being pushed to the side. You know, when you mention, I'm not talking about you, I'm using the generic you. When people mention, uh, you know, like early, oh, the Pac-12 needs to go to early morning kickoffs, like big, big noon Pac-12 on Fox. A lot of Pac-12 fans don't like that. You know, we don't want to get up at nine in the morning uh, to, to watch our teams play. We want to be in the featured game. Uh, it's it's such a recurring issue for, for Pac-12 fans, you know, when their teams play uh, and, my sense is that you know, in 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 the rest of the country, or at least most of the rest of the country, that's just not as much of an issue. Not to say it isn't an issue, but it's not as much of an issue. Like if you know, at Ohio State, if you're playing in that uh, early time slot, that's a noon kickoff. But in the Pac-12, in the Pac-12, it's nine a.m. So you know, if you want the if the Pac-12 wants to get extra visibility to kind of work around. Uh, you know, the prominence that other programs and other time zones have. Well, you know, Pac 12 fans aren't comfortable with that. Pac 12 fans want their programs to muscle into those major time slots and simply win the battle against other uh, high profile programs across the country. So, just that's kind of the point of emphasis that I'm trying to make with, you know, why Herb Street's presence. Uh, is, is such a big deal for, for USC
0: fans. I understand that perhaps this is like East Coast bias and East Coast privilege that I have um, but I, I just I remember when I was covering the Huskers, just always wondering why they were so focused on having national media coverage and like not focusing on their own team and their own presence and all of that and, and I just worry. I mean, USC is a national brand. Uh, I would think that it wouldn't matter. Okay,
1: let me let me jump in and offer one very specific and historically connected point. Let's keep in mind that when there were very intense BCS controversies, that USC usually did not win them. Now, of course, in, in 2004, USC did, you know, that, that was the year it all works out for the Trojans, but of course they didn't, they weren't invited to the 2003 BCS national championship game, the sugar bowl, uh, you know, in which Oklahoma played LSU and they had a one loss team in 2008, but they had to watch Florida and Oklahoma, uh, both teams with a loss uh, playing in that year's national championship game. So, when when fans get upset about TV visibility, time slotting, and which commentators are, are following their games, there are decades long historical roots for these things because there was a BCS debate, or there was another debate about bowl positioning, and either their their team or their conference got the short end of the stick. And of course, the if you if you take this beyond USC specifically, in the Pac-12 usually does not get. The benefit of the doubt when there's a debate, like you think about Oregon. You know, Oregon should have played your Miami Hurricanes in the 2002 Rose Bowl. It should not have been Nebraska. You know, Oregon uh, was a much in a much better position. Nebraska, of course, lost to Colorado by 26 points. Um, In 2007, Illinois got to play USC in the Rose Bowl uh, despite having three losses, and there was a two-loss Arizona State team that got shut out of the BCS Bowl rotation. So it's not just a USC thing. It's also a Pac-12 thing. Uh, And with that uh, college football playoff drought, you know, lasting since uh, 2016, each year, the Pac-12 doesn't make the playoff. It just increases the anxiety among Pac-12 fans and fan bases. And so it makes it that much more important for, you know, please, Mr. Fowler, please, Mr. Herbstreet, be at our game confer upon us the legitimacy we need so that the next time we have a college football playoff debate about who's the number four seed the pac 12 team whether it be usc or utah you know this upcoming season fans really care about that and i and i and i really don't think it's misplaced i, I you know i certainly oh, agree i, agree in, you. I, agree I, I, I you. certainly agree with the notion that hey you focus on improving your football product and everything else will take care of itself. No question about that. Like it, like if you're, if you're spending more energy worried about ESPN's announcers or time slotting than how your own program is doing. Yeah, that is, that's, that is a, a misplaced energy or, you know, it's not fully calibrated uh, energy, but the idea that this stuff matters it you know it doesn't matter more than how well your football product uh, grows, but it it does significantly matter on its own terms. I think that it's important to to stress that.
0: I what I'm saying is like I completely uh, like understand what you're saying. When when Miami was playing Notre Dame, ESPN radio was calling me. So like for a comment on it like so i completely understand what where you're coming from with that uh i'm just saying like i am surprised by the need usc seems like the big hollywood all of that like it doesn't seem to need the attention it seems to need to attract the attention and and that that like we deserve you you don't deserve us like that sort of mentality, um, and I, maybe I'm wrong in that. I, I could be okay.
1: Entirely. Well, well, okay. There's a, there are some nuances here, so I don't think like USC fans uh, are desperate for the attention, like like as though they're begging uh, <laughs> at the, at a soup kitchen or, or something. But like they they certainly view it as important. Like they, they certainly view it as, okay, this is part of our improved stature and that improved stature for a USC fan that is supposed to translate into getting the benefit of the doubt. You know, let, let's say that USC goes 11 and one this season, and you have a really close debate between uh, uh, an 11 and one Well, you, then USC then wins the PAC 12 tile. So 12 and one USC against 12 and one Georgia, for the fourth playoff spot. So who wins that battle? And so having Herbie and Fowler calling, let's say four USC games this year instead of two, that might have a real material effect on whether usc oh, i think it absolutely that does that hypothetical debate against georgia so I think
0: it absolutely does so
1: so i don't think like we're begging for breadcrumbs but like it's you know we need that stature you know th- you know that that's part of the revival that's part of usc being usc again is having the elite broadcasters in the preferred time slots uh you know, th- there is an expectation that that is the way things should be uh and and so maybe the maybe the new the ultimate nuance here ian is that um it's more about we expect to have the elite broadcasters again and if we don't there's something wrong so maybe it's more of this is the way things are supposed to be and if and if it's not the way things are then we're going to get angry you know if herbie wasn't calling this game you might have had a lot of outrage whereas he's calling this game so okay, this is just, this is just the way it's supposed to happen. I think So it, it could the be more that
0: there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's more about if, if these things didn't exist, you'd see a lot of outcry rather than, you know, th- people are like p- thanking God for manna from heaven, that this is happening. It's not so much that it might not be the outpouring of gratitude so much as it's the absence of negative outcry because Herbie's there at the spring game.
0: I, I completely agree with you. And, I, and I think that that's, also, why a lot of us are looking forward to USC's spring game coming up. Like, I, I, I think that that is exactly why USC could be, uh, to, to use the, the trope, back, quote unquote. Like, that USC is back in the discussion and, and could be considered a, a future uh, player in, in the playoffs. Uh, which this is a signifier of, I guess. No doubt.
1: And so, Ian, as we close the show, I mean, we, we kind of went longer than we both had uh, personally planned to, but like we went on this, uh, t- this uh, road of media visibility, which I think is a fascinating and great way to lead our fans, to lead our listeners. Uh, into this game, you know, we're going to spend a lot more time breaking down players and and position battles uh, on the other side of this game, you know, seeing what happened, seeing where the roster stands. We might already get get plenty of transfer news by the time uh, we record next week's show. So it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see uh, the various things that happen at the spring game It's going to provide us with a lot of news uh, for a few weeks. Uh, before we then settle into uh, a wave of uh, portal developments and then uh, the off season uh, where we're going to have some exciting stuff for our Trojans wire listeners. So for Ian Hest, uh, this is Matt Zemeck signing off USC spring game, Saturday, April 23rd, noon Pacific time in Los Angeles on ESPN. You want to watch that game. We're going to break it down next week on the next episode of Trojans wire. So long.